In many cases, in a traditional business, blockchain is useless for 99.5% of those cases. But 0.5% of the cases, blockchain just blows everything else out of the water. That's Christy Lee Minahan on her vision for offering blockchain solutions to big business. Christy Lee started working with Bitcoin in 2010, and she knows just about all there is to know about how to optimize computers for crypto mining. But she's also thought through how blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies can find their way into the center of the economy and create new kinds of businesses and services. While she was visiting London from her home in Seattle, I asked her to explain all that. But I couldn't resist starting with a more personal matter. Christy, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Now, I have to ask you, because it's a sad story, about the first time you got paid in Bitcoin. Tell me what happened. Um, I spent a good chunk of it on an iPad first generation, uh, and I regret that to this day. I was so very excited about it. Um, for those of you who don't remember, man, that was that was back in 2013, I think. It was um, 695 USD for the iPad first generation at the time, which was uh, a good chunk of Bitcoin. It was like 35 to 45k worth of Bitcoin. I've done the maths here, <laughs> and at today's price, your original payment for that piece of work would be worth 204 million dollars. <laughs> Fuck. I know I'm not supposed to swear, but that's a swear-worthy moment. And unfortunately, if you'd kept it and converted it around the start of 2018, you'd probably be a billionaire now, just on that one job. So, we do not want to tell my husband that I uh, wasted that kind of money on an iPad. <laughs> but I got a good few years out of that iPad. So, yeah, uh, it's, a good, it's a good machine, an iPad. It, 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 it was, so... Uh, I mean, thank you, Apple, for making me succumb to the slavery of consumerism. <laughs> now, what we don't want to be talking about with cryptocurrency is its changing value and people speculating on it and exactly the kind of thing we've been talking about because the whole emphasis in what you're trying to do is about building infrastructure. Mm -hmm. How are we going to get people away from that easy conversation about values and into something which is perhaps what you would see as more worthwhile? Oh, that's a loaded question. I think um, first and foremost, we need to start creating more value around these coins rather than just monetary value. So Bitcoin was never created just to be a form of money, right? There was the Bitcoin itself, which was, you know, your, your cash ecosystem, but then there was your blockchain, your underlying infrastructure. You combine those two and you have what's known as the Bitcoin project, which gets very confusing. When these, when these coins, um, be it Bitcoin or be it any of the other coins in these, this ecosystem, when they have more day-to-day -day use than just being a store of value, their price is going to be steady. You know, you've got steady spending, you've got steady consumption, you've got steady use. It will help keep the market steady and regulated. And then we also need to have a lot more... Uh, regulation around how we do our exchanges, um, what kind of participants we allow on our exchanges, that this is something that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, most people know that the exchanges to date are mostly um, fake players. It's bots trading between each other. Those kinds of participants need to be removed off the market 
so that it's only real humans buying and selling and trading and doing, uh, creating value in the market. But is that different from the kind of thing that goes on in the conventional stock market with high-frequency trading organized by algorithms and so on? The biggest difference is the people in the, you know, in the real stock markets are usually publicly traded companies or you know, privately owned companies with liabilities and all the licenses to do this kind of high-frequency trading. So there's some accountability. There, there's a lot of accountability um, and a lot of liability. And we also have to realize that you know, Bitcoin and blockchain and all the, this entire ecosystem of cryptocurrency, it's very rapid pace, fast-paced, fast development, you know, and, and our markets reflect that. So we have these periods of crashes and these periods of booms, but this is because of the fast-paced nature of the environment. Whereas you take a stock market, things are pretty slow. You know, you have your quarterly reports on your stocks and your companies. You have very slow, carefully curated feature releases or development cycles. It's um. Well, except when the crash happened in two thousand and eight, yes. it didn't seem as well organized and well regulated as. That's uh, true. That's true. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not an. I'm I'm still young. Um, I didn't get to live through that as much as it, it didn't affect me that much. But I know that it was also because we had strayed away from the fundamentals of what fiat currency was supposed to do. So to tip the center of gravity of the crypto world more towards utility rather than speculation, you've talked about um, building infrastructure. And, and so therefore somebody from the crypto world needs to talk to somebody who from big business or from big finance and persuade them that crypto is something worth taking an interest in. How difficult a job do you think that is? So I think first and foremost, we need to take the crypto or the cryptocurrency out of the equation and instead focus on blockchain. Blockchain technology and its capabilities kind of remain consistent across all of these different ecosystems. So you're saying that cryptocurrency is just sort of one function or one Correct. implementation of a blockchain. Correct. So the blockchain itself is the really powerful piece. Now, people that have worked with this technology for many years or people that are building businesses on it today need to go out and sort of be evangelists for this technology. And they do this not just by talking about how amazing blockchain is or all of the use cases. They do this by going to companies and looking at what kind of real-world problems they have, what problems they're having in their business, and thinking very carefully, okay, here I have my uh, toolbox of technology. Where best will blockchain be applied? And in many cases, uh, you go in a traditional business, blockchain is useless for 99.5% of those cases. But 0.5% of the cases, blockchain just blows everything else out of the water. So it's all about people who actually understand this uh, technology, going to businesses and providing them a ready-made solution that's easy for them to um, move move their current existing processes onto and start using the blockchain. But I, I completely understand how those kind of use cases need to be separated out from the idea of currency, but don't they also depend on a blockchain that is being mined because of its currency connections and its currency content. So no. to that extent, they are sort of interdependent. So there are a lot of different things we call proofs, right? There's proof of work, there's proof of stake, there's proof of authority, proof of time, proof of space. There are many different proofs. 
And proofs are a way that you prove there is um, that you've contributed this work. And, so, and you get rewarded for that. And you can get rewarded. But think about in a, in a closed uh, environment, in a closed ecosystem, um, have a think about what kind of proof you actually need to make. If I'm, if I'm just in my own enclosed environment with, within my business, I only need to prove within my business that what I say is valid. I don't need to go and prove it to the outside world. So you might lean towards something like proof of authority rather than proof of work. And who sort of sets the, the reward or the parameters for, for that choice between different kinds of proofs? I mean, you can set your own rules, but that gets a bit complex, right? What you mean, you, you have your own protocol that specifies... You can build out your own protocol, yes. And you can build out your own reward structure, your own block structure. But then you apply that to an existing blockchain or you have to start your own blockchain? Uh, usually you would apply it to your own blockchain that's a private. So we can walk through a use case. If I go to, uh, say, IBM right now, and I say, hey, I want to put your, uh, you know, your supply and logistics chain, which terrible thing to do, but I want to go and put it on the blockchain. So I'd go to them and I'd analyze what their entire process is from start to finish with their traditional workflow. And then I'd look through and see, okay, where can blockchain technology really help them? Now, one of the things IBM is going to tell me is say, great, we want to use blockchain. We're ready for it. We're ready to be part of Gartner's hype cycle, but we don't want to put, have all of our stuff as a publicly traded company, which um, is very interesting, but we don't want to have that on a public blockchain. But if it was on a public blockchain, you couldn't just sort of go to any computer and have a look at all the details, could you? You could. Wouldn't it not be in, in sort of encrypted form? No, uh, you, you can't see, uh, of course, you can't see a lot of the details, right? But let's, let's take, for example, a, um, if it was built out on the Bitcoin blockchain you would be able to see the transactions moving from a known IBM wallet. And someone with enough time, and there are already entities that do this, right? They do blockchain analytics. Someone with enough time and enough resources would eventually track that, that, um, that original wallet address to something that IBM owns. So they need a private blockchain. They do. And what benefit is there actually being on the public blockchain besides, you know, the, the supposed aspect of transparency. Well, isn't well, it that, that you, didn't, you wouldn't have to maintain the blockchain yourself? You can, you can maintain your own private blockchain by, uh, you know, contracting certain parties that do have, you know, equipment. So back to the IBM example, you'd say, okay, great, we've identified these characteristics that make you a great fit for blockchain. Here's what blockchain is going to do exactly, and here's how it's going to help you. Now you have to make a decision. Do you want to contract with a third party and run it on a sort of a proof of work ecosystem? Or do you just want to run it on something like proof of authority? So proof of authority is basically there's one, one main actor that verifies and says, I know this to be true. You know, that's the whole point of proof of authority. And then all of the other participants in the ecosystem trust that authority. And we have proof of authority today in businesses, right? We all trust and know what our CEO says to be true. We all trust and know what our, our board of directors says to be true. And we follow those rules and that rule, rule set. So you have this sort of source of authority, but to what extent is it like the public blockchain in having a sort of network of nodes that all verify transactions? So in a proof of authority example, this authority is verifying all of the individual transactions. And you can have many different authorities as well. 
So we might have, if we take a traditional business example, we might have a CEO, we might have a CTO, we might have a COO. They're all verifying things. But is there an opportunity for mining entities to just join in and get some rewards so within a Oh, yeah. a private blockchain like that. So mining only is, um, you know, it's only worth it for proof of work. Mining and proof of work are bonded. So proof of work at its roots says, hey, I'm going to expend all of this energy and you know me to be honest and a true participant. Going off on a tangent, people state that proof of work is the most honest form of um, blockchain participation because animals figured this out, right? Like an animal is going to expend significant um, energy doing some exercise, like a bird flapping its wings, and you know that bird is being very honest in its intentions. It's trying to fly. It's not going to fool anyone by just flapping its wings. It's the same thing for Bitcoin mining. No one is going to go and expend a ton of energy to just um, trick the network because they lose out. What I'm not quite sure about is if it's a private network like that, why is that better than just a database? In many cases, it's not. See, um, the biggest reason is you might be able to have this ecosystem that is spawned across your entire chain of companies. So we take IBM. They have a main headquarter somewhere, but they also have offices all around the world, right? So you would be able to have this, um, this ecosystem of nodes that are constantly executing parameters or code you have set and it's completely automated. It's without human interference um, across their entire company ecosystem. So private blockchains are great when you want to keep your own, your own business very confidential and you want to have it as distributed and decentralized as possible. You want to have no one point of failure. So I can sort of see that you could make that case to a big business and in each case, as you say, different parts of different businesses would be appropriate mm-hmm. as, as candidates for going onto the blockchain. What is the business model for you or a company advocating that with a business? Is it a consultancy business model or are you selling them equipment or a service on a regular basis? Or So I think the, I think the business model here is um, you, can, you can do a consultancy ecosystem, right? But actually, the cleaner business model would be, listen, you want to put your business on the blockchain, we will manage it all for you, and then we'll build it into a smart contract. Smart contract is simply a bunch of rules of code, built out in code, that says if you do uh, X and you do Y, Z is going to happen. You'd go to a business and you'd say, listen, I'll build all of this out for you in a smart contract. And then every time that smart contract is processed, every time those rules are executed, I will take a very small percent. can be something less than a cent. But multiply that by millions upon millions of transactions per day. Bingo. You've got a sustainable business. So you're using the blockchain yourself as a business entity. Yeah. Why not? It's fun. (laughs) I think it's what in the internet world it used to be called eating your own dog food. Yeah. Definitely. You can't go and sell blockchain technology if you're not actually, if you don't have significant skin in the game. So you craft all of this out onto the blockchain and you say, listen, here is exactly how I get paid. I only get paid if this is working to your standards, to your specifications, and you are using it 24-7. 
that is a very brilliant business model. And, you know, people, people like that and get excited by it. I think the most important thing today that businesses are also looking for is they're looking at blockchain technology. They're also looking at artificial intelligence and they're thinking, great, we want to jump into this, but we don't really know how to. So one of the other things when I talk about building infrastructure is we need to start building things like tools, debuggers, all of the basic um, stacks of software that traditional software development has. Build it from the ground up so that anyone, any, any teenager, any high schooler can jump in and start creating on the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain. That doesn't exist today. Yeah, let's go back to the use of the blockchain by sort of everybody. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the, within, a, within a business. How do you think we're going to get from where we are now to, it's a sort of chicken and egg problem, I think, is that it will be more popular if it's more popular if, kind of thing. Um, so we create popularity, right? We have to create value. If, so, so the biggest thing is if you're a business owner and you want, or if you're a brand owner, if you want people to use your brand, to love your brand, to like your brand, you need to create value behind that brand. How do we do that? Well, we, we look at what businesses are saying is the problem with, uh, with Bitcoin and blockchain, and we say, okay, we're going to go build out those tools. And what is the problem? So a lot of them are concerned about no KYC. Know, no, your, know your customer. Know your customer. What, no. are, yeah, what does that mean? So that means that there is no identity backing behind um, Bitcoin or blockchain. So there is a real fear that you can do large amounts of money laundering with um, cryptocurrency more easily than you can with traditional fiat. Now, whether or not that's correct, it's it's not my, my place to say. Um, those are my personal thoughts. But what I do know is that if if the governments are saying, hey, we need KYC before we can adopt this, we need to come over to them and say, okay, great. What KYC standards do you need that still protects customers' privacy but allows you to get enough information to know, um, you know, what what the source of these funds are and are people paying their taxes and you know, so so the easiest way to do this would be probably working with the Bitcoin groups, sit, sitting down with the government and with the Bitcoin groups and saying, listen, the governments over here need these set of um, identifying characteristics. But it needs to be done in a way with cryptography that um, these all can be proved without actually revealing that person's identity. And a very specific cryptographic protocol exists to do that today. It's called zero-knowledge proofs. So we can actually build that out on the Bitcoin ecosystem today. And um, that's just one step, right? So once we have KYC, once we have people you know, not, no longer illegally trading money, that's going to make the currency much more valuable. We're going to see banks adopting it, governments adopting it, people a lot more calmer about letting it into their lives. Imagine for a moment that every single US dollar bill is backed by the blockchain. You could trace how money flows. You could trace where it was spent, the day it was created, when it went out of circulation, when it was damaged. Each note, right? So here's when you say note, do you mean a physical note? Yes. So the one the one rule of what blockchain is good at is it's great for being a distributed immutable ledger for time. So people will say that great, it's for tracking a store of value. No, it's for tracking time and a history of events. 
Now, have a think about the problems we face with traditional fiat today. With traditional notes, physical notes, we have, we have fraud, we have laundering, we have duplication. What if we could solve all of this? But if, but if I've got a, a dollar bill in my pocket mm-hmm. and I hand it over to somebody in a shop, how is the blockchain ever going to sort of catch up with what happened to it? So how you would do that is every single note has, has an ID, right? It has a trackable ID that the government themselves use to track these track this currency and see how it's executed. All you would need to do is somehow make it so that instead of having physical notes in your pocket, you just have virtual currency on your phone, still exact same value as those notes. Do away with paper. We don't need paper notes anymore. But aren't you actually just saying that we're going to turn the dollar system into a blockchain system? Bingo. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The dollar system still exists. All we're doing is we're saying we're taking out the physical aspect, which is clunky and it's prone to errors and it's prone to laundering, and we're going to replace it with a digital system, a digital-backed system with asset IDs that are tracked. I thought the whole attraction of the cryptocurrencies was that they were independent of government authority. By doing that, you're sort of bringing it back into the old system, aren't you? We are, and we tried. You know, we tried doing this without any sort of one central authority or one government authority. We're not saying let governments control it. We're just saying build out these ecosystems so that it is usable by governments. So governments still need their own, or countries, it's better to say, still need their own different currencies, right? They still need the euro. They still need the USD. What we can do is we can make stable coins, which is a pairing of the, uh, you know, for instance, euro and Bitcoin, um, we can make these for the governments. And they're sort of individual uh, branches or emulations of the original Bitcoin blockchain. But isn't that just, that doesn't really change the financial system. All that does is provide a new technology for transferring money, just like a contactless card was a new mm-hmm. way of doing it. It's not really affecting the underlying system, is it? So here's the thing. Why do we need to change the existing financial system? Let's look back at history and look at where we failed. We failed when we allowed the um, when we allowed banks to suddenly just magically print more money. Fiat by nature or currency by nature needs to be fungible and it needs to be in limited supply. This is the nature of money. So we failed when we moved away from the characteristics of money. But then, if you say to a government, "We're going to do this," it's going to be really useful. But you won't be able to print money anymore when you need it to make your economy go faster or whatever. That's not going to be very attractive for the government, is it? Governments should not be just massively printing money and causing hyperinflation. They they know that already. They 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 know that and they still do it. When you remove remove the ability for them to do it, all of a sudden they're like, well, well, crud, we've got to fix our problems. Yeah, but they're going to have to volunteer to have that ability removed from them, which they may not... Correct. Keen about. So here's the thing. All it takes is one country to adopt it. And then the rest have to play catch up. Because the advant- what will be the advantages to the country that adopts it? Then? Stability is a big one. Um, think about how inflation affects us today. Uh, again, I'm, I'm too young. I'm not an economist. But just have a think about how inflation has affected countries like Zimbabwe. Think about what kind of chaos that has caused. Remove that from the equation. Well, except that during the financial crisis, a complete sort of meltdown of the financial system was avoided by 
quantitative easing, which basically meant creating a whole lot of new money that didn't exist. And so if, you, if you'd locked yourself into a system where you weren't able to do that, I don't know what would have happened. Well, let's have a think. Walk me through how the financial crisis actually started. Was it due to a mismanagement of money? Definitely. <laughs> so there we go. Where it's, so this is how you get a technology adopted. You go through your previous mistakes in your ecosystem and you see, okay, can this technology help it in some sort of way? There was a mismanagement of funds from the very beginning. When you remove the ability to mismanage funds, because you have a limited supply and because it's all transparent and because the supply isn't just magically locked up with banks, you've removed the ability for history to repeat itself. The government only printed money to replace what they had lost, correct? Yes, I suppose so, to replace the value. To replace the value of what they had lost. You're not, they shouldn't have lost it in the first place is my point. That was a, a magical mismanagement of money. But what you're talking about here is a vast kind of political project to oh, yeah. have governments accept this. But change, no one ever said changing the world was going to be easy. <laughs> and that's, that's been the entire, uh, you know, the entire drive of blockchain. It's interesting because I know that when you got into this world, it was the sort of anarcho spirit behind it. And then you've <laughs> talked about now being in a much more sort of responsible, let's be sensible position. But in a way, what you're talking about here is almost like a return to the kind of idealism of those early thoughts that you had about it. It is. It is. So, I mean, I I grew up. I I went from being, you know, a kid that was, you know, all governments are evil. I just want to do what I want, where I want with my money to becoming a sensible adult that lives in the real world, that has a family that, you know, is, is thinking about where I want to be in the future. And I'm looking at this technology and thinking, you know what? It has evolved with me as well. Now, I'm not saying blockchain is going to solve the world's problems. It's not. I think you are saying that. It's not because, you know what? Technology as a whole is going to change, solve the world's problems. It's a collection of all these different pieces. Blockchain is just a tool. Just like the internet is a tool, just like relational databases were a tool, just like, you know, Google, Google has become a tool. It is a tool and it's about figuring out, okay, what in the ecosystem needs this tool right now? Right now, it's things to do around with asset management and identity management. Those are very, very powerful pieces that blockchain lends itself well to. to. And in in turn, Bitcoin. If you had a magic wand and you could eliminate one of the sort of limiting factors that is preventing this from coming along? What, what is the most troublesome, difficult hurdle that needs to be overcome, would you say? Oh, that's so easy. Politics. Let's, goodness, in, in, this, in the entire ecosystem of blockchain, there are so many competing parties, and it's not even just between, hey, my chain is better than your chain. It goes way deeper than that. It goes all the way into the mining space. You have different factions of miners that are saying my hardware is better than your hardware. Remove politics out of the equation entirely. And, well, we've just re- removed a big limiting factor of this adoption. So, yes, get rid of politics entirely. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Christy. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. My thanks to Christy Lee Minahan. And thanks to you for listening. Please join me, Charles Miller, next week when I'll be asking Jack Liu of Circle 
to compare his experiences in the traditional finance industry with working in a new crypto finance business. Till then, goodbye.